after what Pastor Mark said, like, no pressure, right? <laughs> okay. I feel like I should run out there and tag somebody else to step up here and preach the message now. <laughs> you know, the Apostle Paul makes it really clear that life is like a race. And I love running. I've been doing it for, <laughs> I think, since I was born, actually. And I love to race, and I love to do that. But Paul, the way he describes it, he says, life is like a race that we need to run it in such a way to win the prize. And if anyone knows me, I love to win. Whatever I set out to do, I want to win. And you know what? I want to win in this game of life. Do you not want to win in this game of life? And our goal, our responsibility here, when we stand up here week in and week out to present the truth to you, at least what we perceive the truth to be, I mean, we're humans. I know we make mistakes. Don't get me wrong. But to present the truth is to help you folks to get practical ways to take the word of God to win the game of life. We can. God gives us the ways to do that. So I hope that uh, you'll walk away today and feel like you've won. We're closing out this series, Life Apps, and if you haven't been with us, we've based this series on the principle that says application makes all the difference. And we base this on a verse in the Bible in the book of James that says, don't be hearers of the word, just hearers of the words, but be doers of the word. And we, so we selected five applications that we think are pretty significant. We've talked about forgiveness. We've talked about confession. We've talked about trust. And last week, Nikki did this amazing job talking about rest. In fact, if you didn't hear Nikki's message last week, you need to listen to that message. You owe it to yourself. It was so good. So today, I get to reveal our final life app and close out this series. Now, we've all been here before, haven't we? I mean, uh, you've had those conversations where you put your foot in your mouth or vice versa. Several years ago, I was candidating at a church in Roanoke, Virginia, and I was a youth pastor at that stage of my career in the ministry, and um, I was doing the interview with the lead pastor. His name is John, and, and as we wrapped up the interview for the position, I was getting ready to walk out of his office, and he had a picture of he and his wife standing in formal uh, dress on the steps, and I looked at him. Mind you, I didn't know John, but for some reason, I felt the need to say this. I looked at him and I said, man, I can't believe your wife let you take that picture of her. He goes, well, what do you mean? Well, obviously she's not happy that you took this picture because she's pregnant. Oh. Hey, don't steal my thunder. <laughs> so he said, so he said, Frank, she's not pregnant. They still offered me that position. <laughs> and at that point I felt like I had to take it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, foot and mouth disease, it happens for most of us. You know, you've had good conversations, you've had great conversations, you've had embarrassing conversations, you've had routine conversations. Conversations is just a part of life. And, and the reason I bring this up is recently I came across some insight and research about a conversation that surprised me. And this insight comes from a group called the Gottman Institute. And here's what they said. They said in your conversation, whether it's at work or whether it's with your spouse, a dating relationship, parent-child relationship, whatever it may be, there's a ratio in your conversation. This is really important to hear. There's a ratio of encouragement to criticism. And here's what their observation is. For every one comment of encouragement, there are six comments of criticism. Now, this is a huge insight. In fact, let me illustrate this for you. This is, so this is what this looks like. You and I have conversations, and we just do conversations. But this is a framework for our conversations that I hope 
that you'll never forget. They said that when you give someone encouragement that you say, hey, thanks for being a great husband. Thanks for being a great son or daughter. Hey, that was a great project. Hey, he gave a great report there. Hey, thanks for all you do. For every one comment of encouragement, there are six of these. Why don't you ever listen to me? Why can't you ever do a good job? Why can't you be like your brother? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? How come? Six to one. Six criticisms to every one encouragement. And when I saw this, here's what I thought. I thought this explains a lot. This explains why so many workplaces are so negative and dysfunctional. Because the conversations are negative and dysfunctional. And when the conversation in the workplace are toxic, the workplace is going to be toxic. You know what I'm talking about? When I saw this, I thought this explains a lot. This explains why so many marriages struggle. This explains why so many conversations in a marriage are toxic. And when a conversation in a marriage is toxic, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. In fact, if anyone has ever said this to you, I just can't seem to do anything right in your eyes. This is what they're pointing to. This is a real issue. Now, here's the great news. Today's Life app, as we close out this series, is going to help us with this. And today's Life app is this. The life app of encouragement. Now, here's the problem with encouragement. You say, how can there be a problem with encouragement? Nobody's going to argue that we need to encourage other people. Uh uh Nobody's going to argue against this. Most people think encouragement is a nice thing to do, but they also think it's not critical. It's not urgent. It's a nice thing to do, and that in and of itself is why that's a problem. Encouragement doesn't cost you anything. But I'm here to declare, if you don't do it, I believe that it'll actually can cost you everything. If encouragement is just a nice thing to do, if it's not urgent, we'll drift towards this, criticism. See, we don't drift towards encouragement. You have to, like all these other life apps we've been talking about, you have to fight for this. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about a principle from the Bible, an encouragement principle. And what this encouragement principle is going to allow us to do is change our ratios. So let me ask you a question. As you look back on the last seven days of your conversations, whether it was at home, at work, with friends, in the dorm room, or wherever it may be, what was your ratio? Was it six to one? Was it three to four? Was it two to seven? I mean, what was it? You see, many times my observation is that we just go around and we just talk, talk, talk. We're going to look at an application from the Bible that is so incredibly helpful. And and let me tell you how it's going to help your conversation. You see, in essence, you have three circles of conversations. Let me show you what this looks like. We'll put this up on the screen. The first circle of conversation you have is what I call the inner circle. This This is your husband, your wife, the person you're dating, your kids, those people that you are most familiar with, those people that you kind of do life with the most. And isn't it true the people that we do life with the most, our family, our friends, isn't it true that sometimes we can take them for granted and our conversations tend to look like that? So there's an inner circle of conversation. Then there's this wider circle of conversation. I like to call this the influence circle. This is at the workplace, coworkers. If you're a boss, a manager, a leader, this is part of this. Encouragement is such a great business practice 
This is your sports team. This is your dorm room. This is your neighborhood. This is a wider circle of influence. Then there's another circle of influence is what I call life. People that you just have conversations with. This is the barista at the coffee shop, the person at the restaurant, wherever. And sometimes we have a tendency to take these conversations for granted. And here's my point. What if in the normal course of life in these three circles of conversations, what if we began to decide that we're not going to take these for granted, that we're not going to drift to this six-to-one ratio? What if we begin to look, particularly those of us who are Christ followers, what if we would begin to look at these circles of conversations as interactions of opportunity? What if we woke up to, the, to think that every time we have conversations, it's an opportunity? Sometimes I think we think, hey, God, will you please bless Susie here? Please bless her, Lord. And I think sometimes God thinks I have blessed Susie, and the blessing has a name, and that name is you. We wake up to our conversations and understand that if we're not careful, we'll drift towards this six-to-one ratio or worse. So here's the great news. Not only does it benefit those people in those circles, it's going to benefit you and I. Because the wonderful thing about this principle that we're going to see from the Bible today is it's a win-win. Did I mention how I love to win? But I love to see other people win too, even when I beat them. I was talking to Ann Dunn about that. Nothing personal, Ann. (laughs) Not only do the people of these circles win, but there's something in this for you. So having said all this, if you got your Bibles, here's what I want you to do. I'd love for you to open up to Proverbs chapter 11. If you're not familiar with the book of Proverbs, it was written by a very interesting man, a man by the name of Solomon. Now, Solomon is often referred as the wealthiest man who ever lived and the wisest man who ever lived. And he wrote this amazing book called Proverbs. And in Proverbs chapter 11, he gives us this incredible principles that relates to this encouragement. But I do want to manage your expectations a little bit because, not, because we're not even going to look at a full proverb. We're only going to look at half of a proverb. And when you first see this on the screen or in the Bible, you're going to think, well, what is so life-changing about that, Pastor Frank? So what we're going to do is we're going to dig down into this and we're going to pull this verse out in a principle that applies to encouragement. I believe it will help to improve your ratios. And as we're about to see, as I mentioned earlier, there's something in this for you. There's something at stake for all of us. So here's this encouragement principle, encouraging principle that we're going to spend the rest of our time in. Proverbs 11.25, just half of a proverb. And Solomon says this, those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. You can use the word replenish here as well. He who replenishes others will himself or herself be replenished. This is a huge idea because what Solomon is getting at is if we're not careful, we'll drift towards this six to one ratio or worse. And he's getting at an assumption that all of us need to be encouraged. And the reason that is true is everyone in the circle of conversation, that's all of us here, suffers and is suffocating from self-doubt and insecurity. It's true. In fact, I love what Truett Cathy said about encouragement. He said that there's an international sign that, can, that you can use that will determine whether a person needs encouragement or not. And Truett had traveled all around the world and he had seen all this. He said the international sign that you can use about whether people need encouragement or not, you may want to write this down, this is really important, if they are breathing, they need encouragement. All of us, to a certain extent, We are plagued by self-doubt and insecurity in some form or fashion. And I can prove it. 
Ladies, let me tell you about the men in this room. The men watching this message, every man, man wrestles and carries around a question, and you may not know this, but this is true. They may deny it, but they're lying. Here's the question that we men wrestle with and carry around. Do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes to do this job? Do I have what it takes to be a leader? Do I have what it takes to be a good husband? Do I have what it takes to be a good father? Do I have what it takes? And we go into the world that says, no, you don't. No, you don't. And we get beat up. And please don't miss this. If we go home and the conversation looks like this at home and we're wrestling with the question, do I have what it takes? That's a tough place to live. Guys, now let me flip this question. Here's a question all the ladies in the room wrestle with. In fact, let me pick on the husbands to phrase this. Husbands, do you know the question the wife's ask, your wife ask? Here it is. They ask, does he notice me? Does he notice me and who I am and what I'm doing? Does he think I'm pretty? Does he think I'm special? Does he notice me? And ladies, you just have to bear with this. We guys are clueless. Because we hear that and we go, Pfft, do I think you're special? Well, I married you 28 years ago, didn't I? We got married, didn't we? The point is this. Sometimes we guys, we're just clueless, ladies, and that's not a new insight that you need to write down. <laughs> guys, I can prove that ladies are asking this question. Do you notice me? And here's why. You see, when ladies get their hair cut or their hair done, there's not a lady in here who runs up to you and says, hey, did you see that I got my hair cut? I got my hair done. Did you see that? They don't do that. They've never done that. Do you know what they do? They wait. Ladies, this is a cruel game you play. A very cruel game. And I don't know what the time frame is. I don't know if it's five minutes. I don't know if it's 10 minutes. I don't know what it's 15 minutes. But at some time, guys, the buzzer sounds. And when they say, did you see I got my hair cut? Guys, I just want to give you some advice. The warning lights on your dashboard had better be blinking because you failed the test. You got a lot of making up to do there. Not that I've ever done this. I've just heard that other guys have. <laughs> Don't ask my wife, please. <laughs> the point is, am I special? Do you think I'm pretty? Is he noticing me? That's what ladies ask. In fact, let me just tell the dads really quick. Dads, if you have a daughter, oh my goodness, do you know what the society does to young women? It tells them that they're not pretty enough that they're not skinny enough, that they're not good enough, that they don't measure up to the computer-enhanced image of the supermodel on the magazine in the checkout aisle of the grocery store. They hear that day in and day out. And if you get so busy with work that you don't notice your daughter to say, you're beautiful, you're wonderful, you're special, I notice you, you leave your daughter very vulnerable. We need to be careful. These people... In those circles, we treat them this way, and it's a shame. But I just think life gets so busy, we don't see this. Now, you know what's ironic? Do you know where we get this right? This is so ironic. Funerals. Isn't it true? Have you ever been to a funeral? He was the greatest guy who ever lived. She was awesome. I just love being around her. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's just one problem. That's why I love what John Woodall's father was fond of saying. He said this. He said, don't wait to get people roses of encouragement at their funeral. Give them roses of encouragement while it's still called today. And you got to fight for this. Because if you're not careful, we'll drift towards that six to one ratio or worse. I'm amazed how many businesses fail to practice encouragement at the workplace. 
It's because it's a nice thing to do, but it's never seen as great business. And it's astounding to me because it doesn't cost anything. But if you don't do it, it can cost you everything. Don't you tell me that encouragement is like a nice thing to do and when we get some time to do it, we'll do it? No, no, no. Encouragement's huge. You've got to fight for this. That's why if you're a boss, you're a leader, you're a manager, let me give you a question that you need to start asking your employees. It's a simple question and it won't cost you anything. You need to do this. You need to ask your employees, how are you doing? At least twice as much as what are you doing? You need to ask them, hey, how are you doing? Look, we're going to talk about the business. We're going to talk about all of that. But before we get into that, I just have a question for you. How are you doing? How are you liking it around here? How's life? And the reason why this is so important is it's going to remind you that this person isn't just an employee. This person is actually a person. And this person like you, he or she is plagued by self-doubt and insecurity. And it's going to remind you that I want to be a leader who creates a great work environment. And I'm telling you, the bottom line suffers when conversations at the workplace look like this. It's up to you. Now let me go to the inner circle. All right, ladies, I picked on the husbands earlier. Can I challenge the wives in the room for a second? Do you know how powerful your voice is for your husband? Do you know? We long to hear your appreciation, your respect, your encouragement. In fact, last week we were talking about rest. Remember that? We said that rest is often associated with trust, but if you're not willing to rest, you're not willing to trust God. It was said that for some of us, the most spiritual thing you can do is to go home and take a nap. Remember that? Some of your wives here today hear that and want to turn to your husband and say, you're so spiritual. <laughs> Let me try to give you a better example. When I'm asked to preach, I sometimes say to Brenda, my wife, I don't have any idea what I should say that will inspire people to apply the truth of Scripture. Brenda will say to me, I just want you to know that I believe in you, that God believes in you, and that we both believe in the message that he's given you. And I'm going to tell you, at that moment, I'm ready to charge hell with a water pistol. I'm like, bring it on. And the only way I can equate this encouragement to me is like spinach to Popeye the sailor man. It's just what it is to me. Wife, don't discount your voice. We long to hear your respect and encouragement. Now let me talk about the inner circle a little bit more. Parents, if your kids are old enough to understand this, if you were to sit on the edge of their bed tonight and say, and I think this is a great homework assignment, Hey, what's my ratio in my conversation with you as a mom or your dad? What's the ratio of criticism to encouragement? That's a good question to ask, and you just need to listen. Students, let's flip-flop this. Students, what's your ratio of criticism to encouragement to your parents? What is it? And you might say, well, Pastor Frank, my parents are so dysfunctional. I just can't do that. Maybe the reason they're so dysfunctional is that the conversations of their life to them have looked like this. And if you're not careful, there's going to come a day of regret. That's why as a father, I would say to my children, you don't know what I would give. If I could pick up the phone and call my mom and dad who have passed... And just thank them and encourage them. Don't wait on this. It could cost you everything. <clears throat> now let me talk 
about this final life circle. These are conversations that sometimes we take for granted. So let me give you an example. Dads, if you have a daughter, I suggest you say something like this when it comes to dating. Honey, when you start dating, here's what I want you to notice. When you go out to dinner with a guy, if the waiters and waitresses come up and he treats them with no regard, he treats them if they're not even, even a person, doesn't even acknowledge them and they're just servants, that's an indication that you never need to go out with this person again because that's a clue of how he's eventually going to treat you. But if that young man gets to know the waiter or waitress, he just treats him or her with honor and dignity and respect, that's a good sign. It really is. Now, my point is not this. My point isn't that we all need to become best friends with the waiter at Applebee's. That's not it. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I am talking about is that there are conversations And every time you bump into somebody and you have a brief conversation, it's an opportunity for encouragement. You may say to me, it's not that big of a deal to exchange the, to encourage the waiter or the barista or whatever. Let me tell you something about encouragement. Encouragement is never small when you're on the receiving end of it. Never. My point is this. When we begin to wake up to the circle of conversations that we have, I think God will bless us in an amazing way. And we'll drift away from six to one ratio and the ratio will begin to shift. That's why this is such a brilliant insight from Solomon because here's what he's saying with this principle in Proverbs 11.25. And this brings us to our bottom line of the life act of encouragement. We'll put this on the screen again. It says this, that when you replenish others, you will be replenished. In other words, Solomon is saying, you can't wait. You just have to go first. You have to change the ratio. You have to replenish. But there's something at stake. There's a principle at play here that when you replenish others, you'll be replenished. This is a principle. It's not a promise. There might be an exception here or there, but what Solomon is saying is the way you want to bend life is more toward replenishment more toward replenishing others, more toward encouraging, because when you replenish others, you will be replenished. This is huge insight from Solomon. That's why the wisest man who ever lived outside of Jesus said, when you replenish others, there is something in this for you. So having said that, here's my homework assignment for you this week, on top of what I already gave you, parents. This week in your circle of conversations, I just want you to be cognizant of this. And when you're In that conversation, you go, hey, why don't you ever, oh, there's one. Hey, why don't you ever, oh, there's two. Before I say that, how about, hey, just thanks for being here. Thanks for all you do. And this is the great thing about this, that it's going to force you to look for great things to say. As you do, the conversations and the ratio are going to change. And my homework challenge for you this week is to be cognizant of this and to lean into your conversations more toward encouragement than criticism and then just watch and see what happens this week. I think Solomon's right. Replenish others and you'll be replenished. It's a powerful principle that you get to choose whether you want to apply it or not. But where life will bend towards is when you practice this principle, you will find it's true. When you replenish others, you yourself will be replenished. I got a simple prayer. I'm just going to pray. I'm going to have you keep your eyes open. It's this. May we be a collection of people that will choose and let it be our aim not to be simply hearers of the word, but to go and do because application, application, application makes all the difference. And here's the litmus test for this. Come fall, 
when my Dallas Cowboys do what they do every single season, you're going to come to me and say, don't worry, Frank, there's another season coming. 